want to thank you for joining Redwood Christian Fellowship this morning. Uh, whether you're on our website or our Facebook, we're glad you're with us this morning. So, hello. Uh, my name is Bob Hapgood. I'm one of the pastors at Redwood Christian Fellowship. And right now we're going through the book of Ruth. And we've got a couple of more Sundays today and next Sunday uh, to finish the book. And then for the summer, we'll be going through 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So as we begin, I'd like to just uh, do a quick review. Um, the story about Ruth is, uh, uh, if you've read through it, uh, I'm not going to go through all the details, but there's a uh, Ruth's mother-in-law named Naomi, her father-in-law named Elimelech. Uh, before she ever knew them, they were residents of Bethlehem, and then their two sons as well. And uh, they, during a famine in uh, Israel, uh, they moved to Moab. And in that context, you have to understand they, they, they were pulling themselves out from underneath the covering of God in doing that. They weren't really, uh, uh, willing to wait on what God was going to do. And so, uh, to escape the famine, they went to Moab. And, uh, while they were there, uh, Elimelech dies. Uh, after that period of time, after a period of time, the boys are old enough to get married. They marry Moabite women, which is also against Hebrew law. And uh, they, the one's name was Orpah and the other's name was Ruth. So Ruth is a Moabite girl. And uh, she, uh, as, as they were there, the only source they had to work with, their husband's dying. Uh, after that, they, you know, both of those boys died, so they had no men to help them. They had to work in the fields by themselves uh, to survive. While working in the fields, Ruth, or excuse me, Naomi, heard that there was uh, the famine was over in Israel. Bethlehem had food, and and so she decided that uh, she was going to uh, go back to Bethlehem. She offered the the opportunity for her daughter-in-laws to. Uh, go just return to their own homes, uh, in, in Moab. And, uh, one did. Ruth did not. And Ruth, uh, she decided she wanted to stay, uh, with Naomi. She says, let your people be my people. Let your God be my God. Uh, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. And so the phrase, by the way, your God will be my God was a sense of a confession where, as a Gentile, she's become a proselyte by confessing the Hebrew God. And so uh, uh, it shows us uh, even even back then there was opportunities for the Gentiles. God was still seeking them out as well. And so she they go to Bethlehem together. And while there... Uh, Naomi, uh, goes to, uh, gleaning in the fields that are being harvested. And Ruth has come to a point where she says, and she, she's actually bitter towards God. She feels that, uh, God has caused her to go through this uh, problem with losing her husband, losing her sons. That as a reflection on her in some way. And, and so she says that, you know, I left and I went to, to Moab full, but I've come home empty. 
And uh, so we have Ruth working in the fields, Naomi uh, sitting at home being bitter and upset. And Ruth, as she's working in the fields, gleaning, and the gleaning is just picking up what's left after the, the first harvest goes through. And it says, as you're going through this, that she ends up just getting into a field by the name of a man, Boaz. And just about the same time she's getting into the field and doing work, Boaz shows up to see how his harvest is going. And uh, he sees her, finds out who she is, and finds out that she's the daughter-in-law of Naomi. And it turns out Naomi and Boaz are related. And so uh, it kind of opens the door and we see them meet each other. He makes sure that she sits down and eats with him. And uh, the beginning of a relationship. In chapter 3, Naomi sends Ruth to Boaz uh, in a sense to come under his protection and to ask that he would redeem her. He was in the line of of uh, men as would be called kinsmen redeemers within the family. And I'll explain that in just a minute. And she actually went and, and asked, technically, she asked him to marry her uh, by saying, uh, you know, redeem me. And uh, he told her that he would be Glad to do this, he would do it, but there was one thing that stood in the way, one obstacle in the way, and that was that there was one other person who was ahead of him within the family lineage that was to have first option on on, on redemption at that point in time in the family. And so if he wanted to redeem her and she wants to be redeemed, it would have to be him that she would marry. If he and but Boaz made it really clear to her, you don't want to, if he doesn't want to, I will marry you. So that's where we basically left off. Uh, uh, Naomi's last words uh, to that uh, in chapter three to Ruth was, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. In other words, she knew that Boaz was going to take care of this and, and, and do it right away. So this is where we come into chapter four. Let me share that with you. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there and behold, the redeemer uh, of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down and he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then Boaz said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here, in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite. 
the window of the uh, the widow of the dead in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, referring to her husband, the son of Naomi and Elimelech. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal. This would have been the one that had the first place in redemption and give it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech. And all that belonged to Chilion, one of the boys, and to Mahalon, the other son. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahalon. I have bought to my, uh, I have bought to be, Ruth, I have bought to be my wife. To perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, meaning to continue the Abimelech lineage. That the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witness this day. Then all the people who were all at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in uh, Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. By the way, you notice that the, the reference keeps coming back to a young woman it means that she is uh, probably at best in her early 20s uh, because the word young there actually means girl. And, and so she hasn't been acknowledged as as a woman at this point. And so she's probably quite young. And Boaz has referred to her as well as daughter uh, in, a, in a polite format, which means she's probably quite a bit older than her. So, as we look at this, I want you to remember also the very first message on the book of Ruth that was given to us by uh, Brad Gill. Uh, it mentioned the scarlet thread, sometimes also called the crimson thread. And what that refers to is the picture of Christ redeeming his church, his people, and how that literally runs all the way through the scripture, literally from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. Uh, in the book of Genesis, right in chapter three, at the point in time that judgment is being dealt out for the, the first sin, Satan in his, the judgment that fell on him, it said that the seed of woman, uh, would be, have his heel bruised by Satan, which means it would be, Satan would take him down. Uh, you know what it's like when you step off a curb and, and you hit the heel and your leg buckles. Uh, that's in a sense what it's talking about. It, you know, it would bring him down. But it says after that, that the seed of woman would crush the head of Satan. For us, that's a rather bizarre picture. But what it literally means is that he would take away all the authority all of the power that Satan has. And so it shows that the heel is going to be a temporary wound 
and that he's going to rise up and take Satan down. That's in Genesis chapter 3. It's a reference to Christ, the cross, his death, and his resurrection. But it's very vague. But it's still, when we, we see and we're able to go to the, to the New Testament and pick up the other facts, we, we can see that. They wouldn't have seen that at all. But it's a picture of Christ. And so we have these different types of, of, of pictures of, uh, in the Old Testament of, of, of Christ. Uh, one that's really, uh, obvious. We, you know, where we have that one that, that we would say is, is somewhat vague. One that is really quite obvious as you read it. Again, still needing the New Testament and what has happened there to see it clearly. We have in chapter 22 or, or, or Psalm 22, a very clear picture of the cross. In fact, it's a very unique picture. It's Jesus Christ looking down from the cross and seeing what's going on around him. Unlike the gospel accounts that are are the witnesses looking up at the cross. This is Jesus looking down from the cross. The first words of Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Very familiar words to all of us who have been Christians at any time at all. We know that that comes from Jesus crying out on the cross. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And your fathers trusted in in you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. So in the midst of his crying out, he's saying, but I know who you are and I know what you've done in the past. Then he says about himself, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. In other words, the way he was being treated and looked at, he was the lowest thing within the Hebrew word frame. A worm, you couldn't get any lower than a worm. And he says, all who see me mock me. They, they make their mouths uh, they uh, at me. They wag their heads. In other words, they speak unkind things to them, and they're just shaking their head at him. Uh, he trusts in the Lord. Here's what they were saying. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. If you went to Matthew chapter 27, verses 40 through 47, you would hear those same words. Jesus goes on speaking down from the cross, this prophetic picture of him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help me. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. Those bulls of Bashan were very vicious. And he's saying the people that are walking around me are vicious and mean. Uh, they open wide their mouths at me like a, a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint, which is exactly what would happen if he was hanging on the cross. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. 
and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. You need to understand this was something written a thousand years before the Romans started using the cross as a form of crucifixion. But he's saying, my hands have been pierced, my feet have been pierced. I cannot count, I, I can count all my bones, which means he's hanging in such a way that as he looks down, he can see his chest collapsing, he can see his rib cage. They stare and they gloat over me. They divide my garments among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. Go to John chapter 19, verse 24. What were they doing at the foot of the cross? The soldiers? They were casting lots for his clothing. So here's one that's very full and easy to see, especially for us looking back. And and so the, the scripture is full of these pictures. They're called types. And and a type is is basically the easiest way for us to understand. For them, as they looked at it, they would say it was a cloudy picture of the future. What we would look at is is that a type is a a a, like a picture that's undeveloped. Now, of course, this means we have to go back to old people and, and the way we used to take pictures with film. <laughs> and uh, the, the reality would be is that we would be looking at it, uh, especially if you went back to the uh, late 1800s, uh, they would take picture. There would be what they call the tin type. The picture would be etched on that and the photograph would come from that tin type. As you looked at the, the tin type, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to recognize what the picture was. As film developed, you you could take a uh, a roll of, of film and after it's developed, and you could uh, before the pictures, you, uh, you know, and before you actually got to look at the photographs that were developed, you'd look at the film and you could kind of look at the negative and and twist it around and try to figure out who was who and stuff like that. But it was very uh, in very uh, unclear. Let's just put it that way. Hard to determine unless you knew. Maybe you'd been the photographer. You knew what you had done. But if you handed it to someone else, say, oh, here's a picture of uh, Grandpa. And they might look at it and say, huh? You know, they couldn't see it because it's not clearly developed. Understand that picture. Old Testament prophecies, like the ones, the two that I've just shared with you, were types that were undeveloped. And they would be developed through the New Testament in Christ. So Ruth's story has such types in it. The one I want to focus on today is the kinsman redeemer. Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. You've seen uh, with the brief introduction that we did here, if you read through the book of Ruth, You'll you'll see that uh, he was redeeming their property. He was the one who had the authority and the uh, the call to come and redeem their property and and marry uh, Ruth and and through Ruth Abimelech's line name would be continued as they had children. So Ruth and, and Boaz's first son would actually have Abimelech's name and carry it. And, and, and carry it on into the future. This was part of the Hebrew culture so that all the people of the Hebrew uh, culture that had been originally in the promised land 
would carry through and carry on uh, indefinitely. And there would never be any lineage that was lost. And their, and, that, and their property that was part of their heritage would stay with them as well. So, uh, like I said, Ruth's types have, uh, have, uh, Ruth, the book of Ruth has these types in it. The Redeemer, the Kinsman Redeemer, Boaz is, in a sense, representing a type. He's a type of Christ, which makes it interesting. Ruth is also a type, an undeveloped picture of something. Who is Boaz marrying? He's marrying Ruth. Who does Jesus Christ marry? The church. So Ruth is a type of the church. Um, the, uh, understand a, a, a picture of the Redeemer, uh, in Mark, uh, in chapter 12, uh, you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes all come up and ask Jesus questions in turn. The Pharisees asked, uh, you know, whether it was right to pay taxes and the Sadducees asked, uh, uh, a question about the resurrection, and which is interesting because they didn't believe in the resurrection. And then the scribes asked about the, what is the great commandment? And of course, Jesus responds to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the second is like the first, to love your neighbor as yourself. And these were what I would call, I'm, I'm labeling them gate topics. They would, just like we have Boaz going to the gate to re- resolve a legal issue. These men would also go down to the gate and discuss all day long the the things about the you know what's the greatest commandment? How do we understand this? And, and debate back and forth, never coming to a conclusion. That's why they thought when they asked Jesus these questions, he would have to, no matter what he did, he would come up with an answer that would would put off somebody. But instead, he answered them as the as only he could with an absolute clarity. And, and, and people were amazed at it. And so, uh, we have the, the, these gate topics with no secure answers being asked and, and Jesus comes up with it. Well, the one that the, 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 the Sadducees asked was about the resurrection. She says, we have this woman who has a husband, he dies, and the brother marries him to continue this idea of kinsman redeemer. And he dies, and the next brother comes along. And marries her to continue this picture of the redeem, you know, the kinsman redeemer to continue her lineage from the very, from the first brother and on and on until seven brothers have died and they've all married her. When she gets to uh, the resurrection, who will she be with? And of course, Jesus says, you don't understand anything about the resurrection. That's your problem. You don't understand what heaven's going to be like. There's not going to be any marriage. There's not going to be any husbands and wives in heaven. There's going to be Christ the husband of this bride, the church, and we're all going to be equal and, and, and stand before God. And so his answer was was there. But this question was pinned off of the laws in Deuteronomy and Leviticus about this kinsman redeemer process. The kinsman redeemer was there to redeem property that had been in the family, so and it would ultimately be returned to the family in some way. Uh, and and then uh, it was also uh, to take care of the widows, and if, and for that matter, if a poor person, if a person lost everything in financially, uh, and had to sell himself into slavery, a redeemer could come on and buy him back. 
So this was the job of the redeemer. And it was normally the person who was successful and obviously had resources in his family. So there were certain things that had to be there. He had to be of the family. Uh, he had to be uh, uh, one who had the resources. And he had to be willing to do it. Coming back to uh, the picture here in chapter four, we have uh, Boaz at the gates, at the city gates. Uh, and we see, again, it's more than protection that goes on there. Uh, the business of the community happens around the city gates. And if you need a legal uh, answer to something, the elders are there to come together and help you with that. And so Boaz says, uh, comes and he, and he sits and he waits until. That first redeemer comes. He says, hey, friend, come over here and sit. And then he invites 10 elders to come and to sit. And Boaz makes his case. Uh, I, the number one uh, uh, kinsman redeemer, uh, you know, basically decides that he's he's interested in going for it. And so he says uh, that uh, he's willing to take this responsibility. Uh, and then he finds out that it comes with some other qualifications. One is he has to marry Ruth and give a son to the lineage of Elimelech, the first son born son. And, and so uh, he says, wait a minute, <laughs> that's more than I can handle. I changed my mind. And it's important. I, I thought to myself, why can he get away with this? Well, some, it has to be legitimate if he can change his mind. So there had to be something that he couldn't do because if he just refused to do it, he could be ostracized from the community and never get over the shame. And so uh, this idea that he would endanger his own estate, there's, there's a few possibilities here. Uh, he might have had, uh, it's more than him, that it had to be more that he just didn't want to spend the money to buy the land and provide for a marriage. Um, and, and fulfill that obligation of Redeemer. And so you look at it and, and the, the, the thing would be, and I, and I'm just giving you a supposition here. Perhaps the man was not as wealthy as Boaz. Uh, he needed to borrow against his property in order to buy her property, Ruth and Naomi's property. And in doing so, tying the two together, if something happens that he can't meet it, he's now in a desperate situation. Throwing Ruth into that, it clouds the inheritance. And so he says, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And he was allowed to step back. At that point, Boaz becomes the kinsman redeemer. And I, uh, you know, there's a, as we look at this, uh, that would, that basically would take us down to, uh, around verse 12, uh, it says, the people at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is com coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you this young woman. So this lengthy blessing that they pour out on them. We'll deal with that next week. 
Boaz and Ruth get married. That's just where we pick up in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception. And she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, the women of the community of Bethlehem said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. And a woman and the women of the neighborhood gave him the name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. What a, uh, an interesting picture here. And one of the things that uh, we see, well, obviously, is Boaz and Ruth get married. They have a boy. His name is Obed. The, the, and the, the, the women gave him the name. It's interesting. Uh, Obed means one who serves. And so we're going to see at some point in time that develop as well uh, along in the history of, 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 of Israel. But Naomi comes along. They set the baby in her lap. And there comes out another blessing, which we'll get in several blessings mixed in here. We'll get to those again next week. Other than the the reality that she says, this is this is a greater thing than seven sons could have done. This is an answer to. Picture of, of of where it says. I went out full and came back empty. I am now bitter. Just call me bitter. She is now full again. The women of the neighborhood gave him the name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. And, and, and in a sense, this is the case because he's carrying on the line of the lineage of, of Amalek and, and, uh, and uh, Molon. So, uh, this is like her son. She's the one that, that, that has the name. And, and she, she, it says he, she became his nurse. Nanny, if you want. And he will be the restorer of life and nourish uh, you into your old age. Um, uh, the Lord has not left you this day without a redeemer. God has come back to you, Naomi. He is, he's blessed you. He has brought fullness to you. And her, her response to this by taking the, the son and holding him in her lap is she's accepted that. God has blessed me again. Kinsman Redeemer. I, I, I want to look at this as, as we close with the idea that, uh, we are, uh, that Jesus Christ, the bride, is the, is the, is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. He is the ultimate, uh, Kinsman Redeemer. And he had to meet the qualifications of relative, Willing to redeem and have the resources to do that. We will look at those things next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here in your word. We ask that you would go with us this morning. We think of, of, of uh, those in our congregation that have need. We ask that you would be with them. I think especially of uh, Joanne Farnsworth uh, recovering from hip surgery at Granada. Jackie at uh, Timber Ridge, 
uh, Diane in her home, uh, Jan Alton in her home. Uh, take care of them, meet them, and, and, and bring them strength and healing. And, uh, again, protect us against this virus. We ask without a hesitation for the miracle of you breaking the back of this virus and bringing healing to not just our nation, but to the, the, the whole earth. In Jesus' name, amen.